Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, my mic, like, I have it farther away from me, and yet my... And, like, your mic is closer to you, but you're not as loud. So maybe move your mic just a little bit closer to you. Just a little bit. Like, alright, I guess that's fine. Andrew is adding music to our podcast. Do you know why? Because music's important. Yeah, why don't you tell us about music, music, Andrew? We would be much better off. And there's a very big music-related headline. Quentin Tarantino, as you know, is coming out with a new movie, a western called The Hateful Eight. Yay! Yes! And the big news is he's getting an original score for it. Like, first, Quentin Tarantino original score for anything. Yeah, I mean, he well, he's one of these people, like, generally Scorsese is, uh, and who, you know, he's more about what they call the needle drop. Which yeah. is finding songs and making his own score for them. And which is, and which sometimes which is super appropriate, because if you listen to the Django Unchained soundtrack, most of those tracks are taken directly from records. He, uh, he's not afraid, things. like, I think starting with Jackie Brown, he said that he started to actually use scores from other movies. It started with, like, taking the score from Coffee in exploitation movies. Right. And then when you hear Kill Bill, you hear uh, some Bernard Herrmann, and of course... Ennio Morricone comes up in there. And that brings us back to our bit of news. He got the man himself, Ennio Morricone, to score the film. Yay! Double yay! yay! When I saw Django Unchained in the opening credits, I saw, and this song by Ennio Morricone. I was like, Dee! Yeah, and it was a song that he made specifically for the movie. Yes. And it was pretty good. And it was, I think he had wanted Ennio Morricone to do the score for Kill Bill. No, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, Inglorious Bastards. And it's kind of weird with Ennio Morricone. If you look at the news that comes up, he apparently, like, he goes back and forth. I guess maybe it's because he's an old man, maybe he's just really angry. But he (laughs) had some quote where he said, I will never work with Tarantino again. He bastardizes the music in in his movies that I've recorded. But then, like, a week later, he'll be like, I didn't say that. (laughs) He is also Italian. Uh, Yeah, I guess, yeah, a little ornery. ornery. uh, But we need to talk about composers. Yes. We've left them out of the conversation for a long time, yeah. and we need to talk about... I mean, occasionally I'll bring up somebody in music, but then but you'll just be like... not often oh. enough. Yes. So we'd like to make this a composer-centric episode, and scores that we love. Yes. And what else, what else did you want to say about it, Andrew? Uh, Was that pretty composers. much it? Okay. I thought, all right, I thought you had more of an intro. Um... But uh, I guess I was kind of interested in part also because recently uh, the composer James Horner died, um, and yep. he was kind of a big deal. You know, after we recorded that episode, I listened to this to this main theme from The Rocketeer. Yeah, which and, he which he did the score for. Right, and I realized it is like the most hopeful thing that exists. Mm. <laughs> He's done a lot. He well, a lot of his stock and trade were doing music that made you feel something. Like, made you feel some kind of inspiration. I mean, he did the score for Apollo 13, and there's a scene in that movie that I always remember where, like, Tom Hanks is looking out uh, the window of the ship, because yeah. it's, you know, when they're they're circling the moon, right. and, you know, he, he knows he can't go down the moon, but he imagines what it's like, you know, for him to be on the moon walking around. Yeah. And the music that plays in that scene is just, like, perfect. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I, didn't really... love, I didn't love everything James Warner did, but the scores that made him really good were very good. It makes you want to invent rocket packs. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, there's some, there are a lot of composers that I'd like to bring up on the show. I basically, 
I started to write like a few names, and then the, na- the list became like twenty names. Uh, so but I might in not... order to prevent it from becoming a book, Jack stopped, and now we're going to talk about them. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I mean, I'll throw out some names out there, and I think we can talk about some of these scores. Um, let's uh, let's start out with uh, somebody who I think we you know, and actually let me start with a question: Do you think that a great score necessarily has to have a great theme? You mean like a uh, like a, a motif that you keep coming back to? Yeah, I mean, I guess usually that is one of the things that makes a great score, right? Well, I think there are certain scores that I, I think uh, we go back to like t- to composers like Wagner, who, okay. who who bring this idea of certain themes belong to certain characters, or just, uh, uh, yeah. certain bits of music belong to certain characters, or to certain themes in the. In the uh, in in the work, yeah. Now there are scores that are like that. Now, Star Wars is a big one like that. Yeah, where you have the sort of force theme, do 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 do, and then you have the uh, the the Darth Vader theme, do 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 do. Yeah, which everybody knows. Yeah, everybody yeah. knows that to the point where there was a this is a, this is a brief sidetrack. There was a song in the nineties. It was by the song. It was by this group called like White Town, and this was the only song I heard by this group. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, yeah, and it was the, the song called like woman. "I Could Never Be Your Woman," and I just heard that little bit in the song, and I'm like, "What does this have to do with the Emperor or Darth Vader?" Like they have the the theme music in there from Star Wars. Well, for John no- Williams still the theme from Jaws from from like Anthony Dvorak or somebody. Hmm. Really? Yeah. There is like the beginning of. It might not be Dvorak, I don't remember. But there's a literally a classical piece that starts out as da-dun, da-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Wow. That so is he, it. So, I, yes. so he probably played that for Spielberg, and people were like, oh my god, this is so great, but I can't again, wait to use for Jaws. But again, and John Williams like, yeah, I made this score. Wink. <laughs> But again, that's that's like the beginning and a very small part of the entire piece. Like the whole piece is, I don't remember the name. It's dun 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 dun. dun oh, I've heard dun, that dun, song. Dun, dun, dun. The beginning of that is the Jaws theme. Oh, I expect a lot of singing in this episode. We're gonna because uh, we, we we like to do that with our music. Uh, what's actually, you know what? That's a great place to start. Let's talk about John Williams. Because oh, he's somebody you who mean would the might... king of all composers. Let's start at the top. <laughs> I, I, I remember the I remember the Family Guy joke where it's like at the at the International Porn Movie Awards and it's like award for best score and they're all like those those uh, like jazzy sort of typical stereotypical porn scores like, yeah and just guys on a mix board and it's like this guy this guy and John Williams dun dun. Um, I think that he's somebody who has, uh, you know, he's he's one of those people that has transcended, like, the culture, you could say. Like, you know, you go to sports events, and they play the music from Star Wars, they play... Yeah, at Yankee Stadium, they do that all the time. For the, every time, like, somebody from the opposing team comes up to bat, you hear the Darth Vader theme. It's actually during the the starting lineup when they when they mention it, like they introduce the uh, opposing team to the Imperial theme. I don't know the if March. they and I don't know if they still do this, but when I remember when I used to go to Yankee games and this was years ago, when they would announce the Yankee players, they would play the the closing music yeah, from, from Star Wars four. when uh, when they're all like doing the ceremony. Yeah, yeah. Do, do. <laughs> Chewbacca included. They all get medals. Um, but you can't imagine Star Wars without John Star- Williams' score. And I think about that, like, 
how did he come up with this? Because it all seems to fit so well. And it makes me wonder how movies are made when I think about, like, wait a minute, did they cut it with the music in mind? Did he write the music with the cuts in mind? Because you get, like, scenes where, like, that TIE fighters uh, fight at, like, when they're escaping from the Death Star. Yeah. That so perfectly matches the action. And everything is cut... It feels like it's cut around the music. I think that Star Wars would work... It's like a weird... It would work, like, I would say a good 50... 55% 55% less without the music. Yeah. Like, and like a lot of those, you know, the Star Wars movies, even in moments where you don't really notice it, like Yoda has a theme in Empire Strikes Back. Princess Leia has Yeah. Like, when you get, it's interesting to get the soundtracks for these movies. And oh, see I have the kind of Star Wars. Like, when I, was young, when I was a kid, I would have the soundtracks to certain John Williams movies. I had, of course, the soundtrack to Jurassic Park. Can you, there's a moment in Jurassic World where, the thing is, Jurassic World is actually composed by this other guy, Michael Giacchino, who you might know because he actually Giacchino. wanted Giacchino. Sorry, I'm, he, Ita- I'm well, Italian. I should know that he scored. He did the Incredibles. He did the Incredibles. And the, and he won- the only song in Cloverfield. He. <laughs> there was, what song was there in Cloverfield? The, cre- the credits. Music. Okay, I left before the credits. All right. Well, anyway, he won an Oscar for Up. You know, he does the score for Jurassic World, and yet, even still when, like, the kids are coming up to the island at the start of the movie, they have to have... Uh, yeah. the, the music which has spawned, which is ruined for me because years ago my brother showed me the YouTube video where a guy took that music and put words to it. <laughs> and what words did he put to it? Um, shield your kids' ears, uh, parents. Holy fucking shit, it's a dinosaur, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what the fuck, oh my fucking god, fucking dinosaur, Jesus Christ, what the fuck. <laughs> it's like, it, and that's kind of ruined the, that song for me forever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Jurassic Park, and Jurassic Park has a lot of great music in that movie. Yeah. And like, uh, I even had the soundtrack to Minority Report. Some reason I like the music in that uh, quite a bit, uh, and Indiana Jones. Yeah, he wrote two themes for Indiana Indi- Jones. The two one, different ones. Yeah. The, the Aside re- from da, 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 yeah, and the other one was like it was part of the same thing. Like I think the, the main theme was going to be like dun 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 dun. Here's the thing, though. Is it easy to confuse the theme for Superman with Raiders of the Lost Ark? No. Aren't they kind of similar? No, it's totally different. They're kind of similar. I feel like we should be inserting audio quotes like every five seconds into, into this podcast. He, well, anyway, he was the king of themes, I mean, I think. And he'll go down oh, yeah. as that. I mean, Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, and he's returning to do the, uh, the score for episode seven. Great. Which is good. You know, I think... I'll buy uh, it. Yeah, I think, uh, and even, you know, you want to complain about the prequels, and that's fine, but John Williams is one of the few things in those movies that comes untarnished. Like, the the Duel of the Fates was pretty kick-ass in Phantom Menace. Right. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, what else is there to say about John Williams? He's, every time he comes to bat, you know, he brings something uh, interesting, Um, you know, in terms of his scores, I think... uh, I remember as a kid, I think one of the first scores I became aware of with him was uh, Home Alone. <laughs> he did the music for that. He did the he scored the original Valley of the Dolls. 
Not beyond the Valley of the Dolls. He didn't go beyond it. He was there in the Valley. Yeah, he was He was there first. He scored uh, Hitchcock's last movie, Family Plot. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, and uh, it's interesting when you, like, he also, like, he, he, he could change it up a little bit, too. I mean, in Star Wars, you know, he has kind of a couple of jazzy moments for the, the cantina. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Relatively. They're kind of pop jazz. Um, so yeah, John Williams, you know, Jaw, I don't think... Oh, what should we play next? You playing that same song? Yeah. Okay. And and you mentioned Jaws, I think Jaws wouldn't work. That is another film that works in large part because of that. And I think that John Williams, also, but probably, I'd have to say maybe his masterpiece, though, is E.T., I think, like, above all, like, it's really hard to pick a favorite, but when I I saw E.T. again, maybe, I'm going to say maybe two, three years ago, and, you know, I think, you know, E.T., what can you say about it? it's E.T., yeah. but to me, the thing that stepped the most was the music. It's like, all right, he put a lot of work in the lobby scores, but E.T., it's just on this other level. Like, E.T., the, they, they play the score for E.T. at times on the classical music station just alongside, you know, Beethoven and Mozart. Uh, they don't do it as, like, a special movie-related uh, segment of their time slot. Um, you know, that's... Uh, that, to me, I feel is, like, kind of, like, the best synthesis of what he could do alongside Spielberg. Huh. Which Now, what do, you, what do you think... Is there anything specific about it that sets apart from something like Star Wars? I... Is it something about... Maybe a little bit of the emotion. It feels like there's movements in a way like almost separate from like other it's it's hard to describe it but when you just you could listen to et this the, the score for et it's separate from the movie and just feel like you've listened to like a symphony or something like that yeah close encounters has a little bit of that feel too uh and especially uh, when you i know you're going to eventually get to close encounters uh for our movie list uh, when you get to that, pay attention to how... Because that movie uses music in a very interesting way. Yeah. Literally with five notes. Like, like he actually was kind of like one of the most important collaborators. Because on that movie, um, he had to find like the most the five perfect notes to play. Which would be used as communication with yeah. like aliens. And like over and over again, he, he would give Spielberg something and be like, No. Alright, how about this? No. No. <laughs> Come on, John. It's only five notes. Get it right. Yeah, so... That's my Steven um, Spielberg. Yeah, he was such a prick. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking of when Spielberg pops up on... Uh, once or twice he's popped up on Animaniacs as a character. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know him because he wears the hat. Right. And uh, also because he's he looks like Steven Spielberg. Yes, uh, I think I remember some episode where the anime acts were like trying to pitch Steven Spielberg something, and well, let's not get too far. Let's too anyway. far away. All right, so, so let's, John let's start... Williams. He's John Williams. You can't get away from him. I'm, he's he he pops up and he's like, I'm John Williams, and you're not. <laughs> okay, um, Danny Elfman. What do you oh, think about man. him? The Elfman. He has, I think. His career, I think, in the past ten years, there are times where he just kind of shows up, and it's like, all right, I'm just doing the score. As of whatever. late, that seems to be what he has done. Yeah, but I feel, but he has had a run. He had, he had one of the best runs, I think, of any composer. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in the early, you know, in all those early films of Tim Burton. Um, 
you know, Pee Wee and Beetlejuice, especially Batman. Nightmare I put Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas I might he be. Sings on that. Yeah, well, he he does the voice of Jack Skellington. Oh, okay. like in singing voice. Okay. You know, because Danny Elfman used to be in Oingo Boingo. And he had a singing part in uh, Forbidden Zone. Forbidden Zone. He shows up as Satan. You know, I saw. I didn't quite understand Forbidden Zone until I saw some old cartoons from, like, the 1920s. And you saw what they were doing, right? Yeah. It was basically like Cab Calloway. Like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Before, you just like, this movie's weird. Like, yeah, yeah, and cartoons back then used to be really weird. It's like from another oh, yeah. world. Oh, yeah. Like, it's you, like watch some, went... you watch some of those old Betty Boop cartoons. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just... And there's sometimes when I, I don't understand what they were trying to do at all, but... Okay! When you see, like, a, when you see, like, a ghost version of Captain Galloway sings the same thing for Blues, yeah. it tends to stick in your brain. All right. Yeah, um, yeah pretty awesome. Batman. Probably the best Batman theme. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. I, I think Hans Zimmer tried, and he has a pretty good theme for Batman. But, but, it's, I, but, but it's, it you is, can't really hum it. It is. It's like it is, du- it is derivative of it, of Elfman's theme. Like yeah, Elfman is dun 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 dun, and just like takes it to a to a minimalistic sense. Yeah. You you watch you watch the opening credits of Tim Burton's Batman, the first one. Oh yeah, you get and you get pumped up. Now whether or not the movie reaches up to expectations, whatever, but. You know, Danny Elfman delivers on that music. Like, there's a whole, there's the one scene in Batman where uh, he has Vicky Vale in the Batmobile and they're driving at night. Yeah. And the entire music for that, it's called Descent into Darkness. If you look it up, this, it's probably one of my favorite pieces of music ever in the movie. Because, you know, and it, it's mostly wordless because she doesn't, she's kind of just looking at Batman. She's like, who are you? And he's just kind of sitting there, I'm Batman. And then all of a sudden, you know, they crash through, like, the cave, which is really a door. Yeah. And then she looks behind, and Jesus opens. And the music lifts and crescendos, and oh my god. Oh. Uh, darkness. <laughs> he, did, he also did the theme for the cartoon, didn't he? Well, I mean, they took his theme. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, with the oh. Sim- in The Simpsons. Oh, all right. Of course. I mean, shit. He, uh, <laughs> the, the Simpsons theme, you know, case closed. Uh... So, I mean, he's somebody who I think has had a lot of fun with music over the years. And he pops up at times in interesting places. He did, of course, oh, and Spider-Man. Music for the Spider-Man movies. Uh, the last time, Spider-Man, actually... Um, Spider-Man, Well, not I that theme. Spider-Man, Danny Elfman wrote the score, so I'm gonna go get some more. <laughs> <laughs> not bad. Uh, you're actually doing pretty good. Thank you. Uh, you should have continued. Um... But, uh, yeah, he did some really good music on the Spider-Man 2 as well. Um, and then I think the... Uh, I know you weren't a big fan of this movie, but the last time that a Danny Elfman score really stood out to me was on uh, Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah, it didn't stick out. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, and actually, one of the things to also look out with him is he does some scores for Errol Morris movies. Now he okay. does score for uh, standard when, operating when, procedure. When, uh, Philip Glass is too good. Yeah, that is true. Uh, Philip Glass should, is we, someone we gotta who... we got to talk to Philip about Philip Glass a little later. Okay, we'll because bring him up later. there's especially one Philip Glass thing I want to bring up, which is really surprising, but still worth mentioning. Mm. All right. So uh, Batman, my, in my top ten of scores of all time, for sure. Um, a few other people to bring up, but Henry Mancini. You talk about themes, that's yeah. somebody... 
Moon who's River. way up there. What? Moon River, right? Henry Mancini, do you remember? I think so. Like, for, for, for no, really? Hold on. I mean, of course, you know, Pink Panthers. Oh, okay. will be known for. But that's, um... I'm just throwing ideas at it at this point. <laughs> Throw out ideas, right? Older pitch composers, session. I'm not so, uh, I'm, I'm not so, uh, up to date. Uh, okay, I, I, I understand. I was just, uh, well, he's, he's somebody who, I mean, the Pink Panther theme basically made him synonymous for life with stuff. And, uh, he, um, wait, did he do, oh, he did do Moon, Moon River. Right. And, uh, the Peter Gunn theme. Oh, okay. Covered by uh, the LP. The LP? Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. They did a oh. cover of that theme. Moon River, though, is, you know, it's not only a good song, but it was used really effectively in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany's, so... Oh, I'll take your word. Well, I haven't seen it either, so we're even... Yeah, I... Something about seeing the picture, just the still image of... Of me, right? Yeah... Well, some people can look fast. That's not the point. But uh, Henry Mancini, here's to you. Uh, oh, and he also did... I think he did the score for Charade, which I saw recently, and that was really good. Right. Um, okay, a couple other people I want to bring up really fast. Uh, two, two composers who are very much known for who they worked with. Uh, Wendy Carlos. Oh, and yeah, with, uh, who worked with uh, Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah, and it's interesting because mostly Kubrick was like the guy who actually influenced people like Scorsese because often Kubrick would do like kind of the needle drop effect on his movies. Hmm. You know, like on Strange Love, you know, uh, that I think that does have a score, but it feels more like I just remember We'll Meet Again from that movie. Yeah. And then even though Beethoven and Singing in the Rain are really the two things people remember from but I remember Clockwork the, Orange, the, but the, the score opening, the opening that, theme from Clockwork Orange is really kind of haunting, especially when you pair it up with Malcolm McDowell's eyes just staring yeah. into your soul. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the cool thing that Wendy Carlos does, too, in that movie, she does, uh, she kind of does her, like, synth style over Beethoven yeah. music. So there's a scene where uh, Alex is being tortured in the chair, and you hear the electronic version of Beethoven's fourth. Yeah. And it adds a really eerie feeling to and everything. And she does this sped up version of, of Beethoven as Alex is doing this sped up scene at making love to these two No, not, not Beethoven. That was uh, the William Tell Overture. Oh, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen She also did music for The Shining. So the opening of that, too, the... As a kid, when I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready for something here. Yes. A lot of moody, atmospheric music that... Also, Full Metal Jacket. Those are kind of like the big three that she did for Kubrick. And just for that, I thought it was worth mentioning her. And then the other one was Angelo Badalamenti, who well, worked yeah, with Lynch. Yeah, with David Lynch. Yes. Um... Who also he does some great jazz riffs in Lost in Lost Highway. He does, which are like the red the, and and it's music that like a lot of the original jazz that uh, like that one scene where Bill Pullman is playing jazz in the club, which is also that's one of my favorite pieces of music. Uh, red bats with teeth. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have the Lost the Lost Highway soundtrack. Yeah, and me I too. listen to it. I used to listen to it when I was driving to work like an hour, so I'd be on the highway listening to this. And you'd have Robert Loggia talking to you like, this is where mechanical accidents Yeah, 400 horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> really pays off. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great driving. But music. it's just those scenes. It's it's just that music where they're driving, and it's like it's just driving music where it's just like symbols going. Yeah, it's very moody, like like um, it's noir like if you music. Took, if you distilled every film noir theme into into the super hyper concentrated concentrated formula, yeah. you'd just drop it and it would make that sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also Mulholland Drive has that music as well yeah. and uh, I think he scored Blue Velvet I'm gonna say he did and Wild at because Heart even, because even though David Lynch uses a lot of licensed like yeah he uses a lot of, he uses a lot of 50s music all, all, but a, a lot of his a lot of the original scores it really gives uh, enhances the mood yeah and even though it's TV and of course you know Twin Peaks right he has other thing um, so that's somebody who uh you know, I, I always hope. I'm always excited when Angelo Badalamenti does a new score, and he he's done music for other people too, not just Lynch. Like he did uh, he work on the Social Network? No, no, that was, that was Trent, no, Reznor. Trent Reznor. That that one is it's hard to mistake that one. Uh, oddly enough, I think that my favorite Trent Reznor score now is uh, for Gone Girl. Okay. Um, because what I kind of like about it, and I think that um. Fincher talked about this and Reznor talked about it, is that like when you listen to the score for it, it almost sounds like you're getting a massage when you hear the <laughs> score, even though it's about this you know marriage that turns upside down. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like this. Marriage. It's this very moody like. Yeah, and stuff like that, and uh, um, yeah, but like I said, yeah, he's done a lot of music for. For other movies like uh, like Return to Twin Peaks, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at his IMDb and I'm trying to find uh, something to real. Oh, oh no, oh that's sad. Oh, he composed Cabin Fever. Well, but then he also composed Secretary. I don't think we can blame him for the failures of Cabin Fever. No, no. it's great being a composer because it once your if your score is great, you're just like yep. It was me. But then if it's in a crappy movie, you could just it'll be like either, oh, well, at least the score was good. Or it can be just like, oh, well, if he wasn't responsible for making the movie terrible. <laughs> you know, the only time I've ever really criticized a movie score is when I saw the movie Tombstone. Okay. You've seen Tombstone, right? Not really. You haven't? I've seen like a few scenes from it. All right, Tombstone's a Western. You're writing down that for a movie to see from me eventually, it's, aren't you? Tombstone's a Western. It's yeah, well, yeah, it's Western. about, isn't it Wyatt Earp's? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the thing is, though, it doesn't have a, a score that really sticks out because I'm used to really good Westerns with really good scores like High Noon, uh, the Spaghetti Westerns, uh, a whole bunch of different, you know, sort of John yeah. Wayne things. And all of. And, all the good westerns have some sort of theme or some sort of music that sticks out. Tombstone didn't have any of that. Uh huh. Well, okay. So it was kind of just generic. Yeah, it was kind of blah. Yeah, that's that's always the that's always the 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 shame when a score is kind of like that was uh like there are certain scores for Marvel movies that I think don't stand out that well. I think they try to give them themes. I think the theme for the Avengers is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Uh, they got Alan Silvestri for that. Actually, yeah. that's somebody I should bring up because... Come on, Back to the Future. Yeah. Can I whistle okay? No. No, but, but Back that, to the but Future is the great. The Nostalgia Critic chose that as the best movie theme of all time. 
Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. I actually think that his uh, music for Who Framed Roger Rabbit is very good. He that has a great mix of like the energetic, you know, adventure mu- type of music from Back to the Future, but it also has time for like the jazzy film noir music hmm. for scenes with Eddie Valiant in 1940s. Um, I, I, I could listen to the Who Framed Roger Rabbit because what I love about the Who Framed Roger Rabbit music is that in like the first minute. You know, it starts off with the Touchstone logo, and you hear, like, the... It's like the bass and jazz and trumpet. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's the, the Baby Herman Roger Rabbit cartoon, and so you get, like, big cartoon music. Yeah. So you get everything that the the music is going to be in one minute yeah. of that movie. And the Avengers theme that Alan Silvestri does, it references other scores. He did the score for Captain America. So it's another one of those scores. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. It's another one of those scores that ha- that references certain motifs. Mm-hmm. So when Captain America is doing something actiony, you see you hear a Captain America theme. Right. Uh, one uh, one cool thing with Alan Silvestri from Teaneck, New Jersey. All right. Yay! Represent. Yeah, and uh, and Forrest Gump. Yeah. Was one of his other big movies. Uh, I mean, not all- he's one of those composers who his work is either very uh, is incredible or it's just kind of there. Yeah. Like, he's done music for a lot of, you know, big-budget studio movies that kind of go by the wayside, like Night at the Museum and, uh, oh, God, G.I. Joe. <laughs> um, but, you know, people got work. You know, as you said. You know, I won't hold it against him. No. Um, I got to bring up this guy really fast on my list, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, yeah. uh, Alien. He always pops up, like... Well, there was a time when I would wa- I would pick a movie to watch from my library, and like every other film was a Jerry Goldsmith film. Yeah, well, he had a he had an interesting range of stuff because he did a lot of uh, genre movies. Uh, Planet of the Apes was him. Uh, he did a number of Star Trek movies. I think. Oh, I think actually he did do the theme for uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, okay. which ended up becoming the theme for Star Trek: Next Generation. TV show, um, it's weird when you hear scores from him, and he works kind of experimentally at times. Like, this, the theme for Planet of the Apes, that's not really something I could sing you, because, like, I don't know if you remember the opening credits of Planet of the Apes, you just hear a lot of, like, random bongo hits and weird noises. <laughs> like, it's the oh, weirdest score. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alien, the theme uh, for Alien is kind of like that. Um, that's that's weird because I don't remember any music from Alien. That's the kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting about it. Like when you watch the movie, the music works well with it, but it's not memorable in the way that music almost, from Star Wars. It's is. almost invisible. It's just part of the mood. Yeah, and it's interesting because I heard an interview with Jerry Goldsmith where he talked about how he originally had a different score that he made for it, and then the producers changed it the last minute and took score from, like, another movie he made, and he actually got really mad at the studio, but at that point, they're just like, eh, screw it, go away. (laughs) Um, He actually did a piece of music um, that was from another movie, and I forget the name of it, but uh, Tarantino used it in Django Unchained, and it was in the scene where uh, Django... in the last stretch when Django and the group uh, and K- Calvin Candy, they're going up to the uh, the plantation. Yeah. And, you know, and, like, Samuel Jackson first sees them. And you know this music because it's like, do, 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 
do 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 do. I I really like that music a lot. That is that is a good song. I uh, I I enjoy listening to it whenever I have the Django and Jane CD. Yeah, I have the the soundtrack for that too. Um, uh, let's uh, somebody that I want to bring up really fast is a uh, is actually a group called Goblin. Right. You ever hear of Goblin? Yeah, they, they did more the for Suspiria and Dawn of the Dead. Uh, yeah. Actually, for a lot of Argento movies. What I like about them, and I listen to their music a lot. Sometimes I'm driving. Yeah. Like, they're basically a rock group. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, they actually came to the United States and did a series of shows and played as if they were, you know, a, a rock band in, like, clubs and stuff. Wow. Doing, like, the themes from their movies. Like, I saw them do a live performance of the... The theme from Dawn of the Dead, and it like gave me the chills because I, I love the score for Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, and the weird thing with Dawn of the Dead is it's either very eerie Italian horror music, or it's the Muzak in the mall. Yes. <laughs> some of the best, some of the best end credit music of all time. Yes, with all the <laughs> zombies just walking around and you hear the Muzak. Yeah. Um. And Nina Rota. Does that name string a bell? The Godfather? No. Eight and a Half? No, those Fellini movies? Do I've I need seen to play both those movies, but I haven't. That doesn't. I haven't heard the that music name. doesn't pop out you? Oh, no, The Godfather s- sticks out to me. I just don't know that name. Okay. Well, that's the guy who did the music for that. Um, I really love the music for Eight and a Half. I feel like that kind of encapsulates like the bouncy energy and mayhem of Fellini. Uh... And the theme, yeah, the theme for eight and a half. I just, I, I kind of hum that to myself sometimes. It kind of gets in my head. And there's also another theme from that movie where these kids are watching like this giant woman with big, huge breasts, like doing a dance on the beach. <laughs> and the music that Nina Rota writes for that scene is just so much fun. <laughs> it's almost like a tango. You thought you couldn't improve on that image. Nope. Mm. Add the right music. <laughs> Uh, talking about, uh, really fast, uh, a classic guy that would bring up, uh, Maurice Jarre. Yeah. Okay, now, that Lawrence is somebody who you know. Well, yeah, everybody would know Lawrence of Arabia. He did a couple of scores that kind of surprised me. He did the music for, uh, Bad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. You said what? Bad Max. <laughs> You're a Bad Max! Bad Max! What's with you going with all those... <laughs> <laughs> we don't need another hero. Well, he didn't do the music for that. Oh, darn. He just did the score. I haven't seen Beyond Thunderdome. Okay. Well, it's not that great. Um, Speaking of Mad Max, let's talk about... Oh, have you listened to the Fury Road soundtrack? Not, like, on CD, but now that I've seen the movie a few times, I, I love the music from that. Oh, me too. It's by a guy named Junkie XL. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I need to look up his real name. I think it's, uh... Oh, God. What, what's his real name? Something... Uh, Dan Holsenberg? Um... Tom Holkenberg. Tom Holkenberg. He, he hulks Holkenberg. out. Um... He, uh... Yeah, the music for Fury Road, I thought, was very striking. That, that really fit the movie well. Yeah, at times it references classical works, and then at other times it's... It's really just... Really, really ele- electronic... Not in an 80s sort of way, but in a real sort of... Yeah, I mean, there are different kinds of electronic music I find with movies. I mean, uh, Tron Legacy, I think the most uh, striking part of that movie was uh, Daft Punk's music for that. 
And then uh, on the flip side of that, Trent Reznor, as we mentioned, for Social Network. Right. Which is almost like, that's almost like a relentless, like... It's interesting because it adds a lot of suspense in moments where a guy's just at a computer. Okay, I need the algorithm. Give me the algorithm. Yes. I think we finally had a musical episode of this podcast. I should be playing this music instead. I think it's funnier that we're doing it like this. If we inserted audio clips, this thing would be probably three hours. I might, I might kind of underlay certain music at times when we're talking about stuff. Oh, that's, that'd be awesome. Yeah, right. I think that'd be better. Um, Johnny Greenwood, I got. he's one of my new favorite composers working right now. He's done the scores for all three of Paul Thomas Anderson's past movies, so Inherent Vice, The Master, and There'll Be Blood. And I, ha- I have a soundtrack for There'll Be Blood, and I think it's incredible. I love how um, the music for that is classical, but it's it has a lot of unusual beats, and you just saw there will be blood, yeah. so you know like when he's first digging for oil at the start of the movie, it ha- it has a bit of a Kubrick feel. The music, I don't know if you've got a little bit of that sense. The way that the um, all the strings and everything's very, it's full of almost what you call like discord. Maybe that's a word for it, like 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 stuff. It just doesn't. But I, I only seen it once. I didn't the, the soundtrack. I can imagine the soundtrack, but it didn't make okay. that huge impact. Well, but he's well. Well, the point is, uh, for, like, well, for I guess uh, for me, there will be blood up there at the best. Speaking of strings ever. and kind of weird discordant soundtracks, okay. Who did the Who did the soundtrack for Under the Skin? I, why did I? Oh my God! Get out of my head! I thought you were going to ask me about that. Because all I think about is that weird sort of string thing when they go into Scarlett Johansson's weird. Room. <laughs> yes, her her sex. Wa-da-da. It's someone named Mika Levy. Okay. I don't really know much about. It's actually her only score hmm. on uh, IMDb. Um, but because there, there's so much creepiness and so much yeah, so oh, much mystery yeah. in the, in just that in that little flourish. I think the scene would work without the music, but with it, it adds a whole other level. Yeah, you feel like you're in a nightmare. In a way, it adds to that nightmare feeling because you're in that black space as you know Scarlett Johansson's taking off her clothes and the guy you know disrobes behind her. Believe and it sinks. or not, this is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, one, one I wanted to mention fast is uh, now I'm not a fan of all of this guy's work, but Vangelis or Vangelis. He did the score for Alexander. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. Uh, th- that makes sense. But also, like his his big thing that you probably know is well, uh, Chariots of Fire. Yeah, that that's, that's the one the that stereotypical I... kind of, which is now become parody. Do, yeah, do, 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 that's become like the parody thing for yeah. any for any athletic effort in in a sitcom or in a, mm-hmm. in a comedy. But you're da, right, yeah. Da, 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 da. That might have been the last score that I've seen, like because because this guy hasn't really worked that much. But the last score he did for a big movie was uh, Alexander, yeah. and also uh, Blade Runner. That was the one that stuck out for me. That's kind of like one of the first major scores to use electronic music in that way. Outside of uh, Wendy Carlos, huh. um, so I just thought I'd mention him. All right, um, John Carpenter. Yeah, 
probably one of the main masters, I think. And it's interesting because he wasn't really a composer for people outside of his movies. Um, I mean, he basically did it for himself, I think, because as he said in interviews, he didn't really have the money to hire a composer. Right. And he so was. So when he did like Dark Star, he did like the simplest uh, thing he could do, just like a few people, and he's like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Dark Star score is not that complex. But then um, he gets to. But then you get to something with like Halloween, which seems really complex. Yeah, it seems and like it has this weird structure that really puts you off because it's like it's. Uh, it doesn't have a. It, it has an eight. This uncommonly used time signature. Five, yeah. Uh, well, like, for the theme. Yeah. But then the, there are other times in that movie where the music works really well too. Like characters. Da-da. Well, well, there's that. Da-da. 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 Yeah. Da-da. Ding, 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 ding. It's Da-da. so simple. Da-da. But I mean, but it works really well. It's it's almost. I like that Carpenter has said in interviews that when it comes to a score, he looks at it as kind of like the carpet for wow. you know that you put your feet on or something that the movie puts its feet on and have. Kind of, lays under something that you can rest. Hmm. And it's interesting then that when he worked with Morricone for the thing, Morricone must have been just right in sync with him for the score for that movie. Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't, like, there are times watching the thing where I kind of forget there's a score, but the theme for that movie is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that one bass line. And Not really something you could sing, but still. Uh, no, but it's, it's kind of cool. It, it adds, like, you feel like your heart's beating in uh, the third man. What, what can you say? It's the third man. It's Anton Karras yeah. in the Zither score. Uh, John uh, Carpenter didn't do the score for the third man. We're going no. To a different <laughs> John Carpenter's score for the third man would be kind of. Oh, by the way, a side note for John Carpenter: the latest thing that he's done is that he, you know, he hasn't done a movie in a few years, but he put out an album with his son called Lost Themes, what? and what he did was he basically made music like movie themes for movies that don't exist <laughs> and uh so and it's kind of cool like i i kind of hope that maybe filmmakers will use some of the songs from this uh, album for maybe some of their movies because he made some really evocative music videos uh m- music for it there's one music video he did for one of the songs on the album and it's kind of weird because in the video it has some night scenes of los angeles and then it cuts between that and John Carpenter puts on, like, a 3D helmet and does weird, like, robot movements. <laughs> John Carpenter's, like, an old dude, so it looks really odd. Um, uh, Shine on, John, John Carpenter. Yes. Uh, a couple other themes to mention really fast. Uh, Rocky. I think yeah. that's kind of an energetic theme. Bill Conti. I, again, something everybody knows. Something that has... Here's an interesting thing. I think the Rocky theme has now gone into the level of parody, but I still think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean... It's very energetic. It's useful for parody, like Vangelis, but unlike Vangelis, it still holds up as inspirational. Yeah. There's something about... I think the Vangelis score is a little too soft. Maybe Maybe that's part of it. Bill Conti's score... You know, you just want to start punching a bag or punching, you know, meat... Oh, we don't have a side of meat? Get that steak out of the freezer. (laughs) You're breaking the ribs, Rock. (laughs) I I, I think that comes down to the film. Because you can use it for parody, but, I mean, the story of Rocky is still a potent story. So when you you hear the theme, it's so connected with Rocky and with the emotions of his story that that when you're looking for inspiration, yeah, 
you, you can't do much better than uh, than the Rocky theme. Yeah, and I think well, actually, there are other themes in the movie too. Like I remember, there's kind of a slower music when he there's a scene in Rocky where he's just kind of jogging. In like the real yeah. early morning, like the first time he jogs and like climbs up the, the yeah. steps of the art That's museum. A, I love that it's scene. Just, yeah, because it, it's so he's just by himself. He, there's no fanfare. He's just a guy who is quietly training for something. Yeah, and like that for me is one of the best scenes in the movie because and uh, <clears throat> and works in part because of the music. Yeah, um, you know they there was they made okay in Rocky three. Rocky gets a statue of himself that's put on the... Yes. Now, the thing is... Well, that's still there in film. That prop exists, uh-huh. and they donated it to the museum. And there was a big controversy about whether they should put it on the museum. Right. Because they were talking about, is it art, or does it, and like, does it spoil the landscape? Mm-hmm. Or like, does it really help to have the statue of Rocky when so, tons of people run up there to pretend they're Rocky? Yeah. And now it's, like, off to the side on the museum <laughs> grounds. Uh... <laughs> But uh, the other Rocky movies have memorable themes. Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Yeah. And then the well, that's a song. Rocky IV. Well, <laughs> you mean like Hearts on Fire? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, it's not, memorable to the extent of that movie. I think that it works in the context of the film. <laughs> Do you? Yes. Yeah. It's not as it's not oh, so it's not as inspiring oh. as the Rocky the theme. Ri- it, there's something oh. about that song. That when it's put to images of like of Ivan Drago doing his weird like Superman training yeah. like in like the Russian like machine room yeah and it's it just <laughs> there was another uh, Stallone movie in the eighties which it was pretty forgettable it was called Cobra. That has another sequence and that uses a really cheesy song. That was a spinoff of GI Joe. <laughs> And, uh, but there's a weird moment in Rocky Three, okay. where like I think it's that statue dedication scene with the with the Rocky statue, yeah. where the marching band in the movie is playing the Rocky theme. <laughs> a weird, a weird breach of the fourth wall there. That's like you. Uh, that's that's like if all of a sudden they had seen Star Wars, where, where someone, like, where like an Imperial officer was like walking down the halls and whistling the theme. Mm. <laughs> oh. And- you know, I wasn't going to mention this, but a really cool score from last year. Um, you still haven't seen Birdman? No. Okay. Well, the score for that movie is done all with drums. Actually, I shouldn't say all with drums. There are a couple scenes where they use uh, classical they music. They got the kid from Whiplash to do it. <laughs> that, that, that was a joke at the Oscars. Yes. You know, <laughs> ripping off. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't think you were ripping it off. I'm sorry. Uh, that was dumb. Um, You're dumb. I am. Well, I, don't call me dumb. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I'm, I'm being stupid. So anyway, in Birdman, the entire score is done with drums, and at times the guy who's doing the score is there on screen. <laughs> like, like Michael Keaton will be like walking on a hall, and all of a sudden the camera will pan, and you'll see the guy drumming just for like a few seconds, and they'll, cut, and they'll move back me. to Michael just Keaton. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I love that in a movie. Like uh, they did that in Blazing Saddles. There's a scene where uh, Bart the sheriff is kind of riding into town, and you hear the score behind him, <laughs> and they show the, then like <clears throat> they just passes by the entire score, and they're like, "Hey man, how's it going?" And he just walks by. 
<laughs> Remember when we were talking about High Noon? And you were talking about oh. Gary, <laughs> Gary Cooper. The song, yeah. Every time through town and, and the High Noon theme is playing. It, it, it accompanies him. Every time he walks somewhere to ask somebody for help, you hear, What will I do? Yeah. And, do not forsake me, oh my darling. Yeah, it's and, like... And you were talking about, like, you half expected <laughs> him to be wearing his iPod yeah. and, like, take off out the earbuds. <laughs> the, the, like, the fight the power music and do the right thing. And, uh, and then, like... Th- this, the score gets to like the what do I and then Gary Cooper says ah oh, shut up will ya yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god um alright so I think I've mentioned or at the end of Airplane where uh <laughs> they're kissing on the runway and the and the uh, people who are singing like the, the the score goes so high that their voice cracks oh yes <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um I feel like they're kind of, there must be jokes like that in oh, one of the Muppet they, movies. They must be all over the place. Yeah. It's oh, not... or, or, like in the recent Muppet movie where they were just, uh, they're fixing up the theater to, uh, we built this city on rock and roll. Well, that was, like, the, that how, was yeah, the Muppets. Yeah. How are we gonna, how are we gonna fix this up in time? Well, everything goes faster with a montage. <laughs> Without this city. That made me kind of like that song, even though I do, don't usually like that song. I like that song. I like that song... Because of two things. Once it was used on The Simpsons, and Homer yeah. was singing it, and then uh, I forget what the alligator. Yeah, I yeah. remember that. <laughs> so let's get back to a composer. Okay, all right. I'll mention we're getting we're we're talking about a lot of stuff. I'll mention a few more names. Uh, Miklos, Name names, Jack. Miklos Rosa. Does that name sound familiar? No. We he did a score for a movie that we just uh, talked about, Knights of the Round Table. Oh, really? Yep. What else did he do? He has done stuff all over... Oh, and, uh... Wait, am I mistaken here? Let me, uh... Let me just look this up. Is this a dagger I see before me? (laughs) Um... Oh, yeah, no, he... No, no, I'm sorry. I mistook him for Dimitri Tiomkin. And that was, uh, the guy who did the score for The Thing. Um... The the Thing thing. The other thing. The Thing from Another World. Yes, that thing, that thing, that thing. Oh, Mikos, uh... No, it's not... No, it's Mikos... Damn it, my my computer is all... Stupid. Yeah, just like me. Um, let's see. Mikos Rosa, that's right. Um, this isn't the guy I was looking for. Um, hold on a second. I will find... This, you see, this is one of those, uh, like, European names who, like, is... Oh, Ben-Hur. All right. <laughs> now we're talking, right? Right. Um... You know what I remember mainly because... I, this has nothing to do with Ben-Hur. I, I remember the, the theme from The Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Mainly, I think, because I saw that movie probably 40 times when I was a kid. Right. But, uh... I don't know where I'm going with that, but <laughs> okay. So it kind you does that just pop up in your head sometimes? Sometimes, but not as often as other scores. All right. There's well, one composer whose scores keep popping into my head, mm, but we'll get into it. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll run into yeah. Well, the thing about Miklas Rosa, I should mention, he did a lot of scores for a lot of film noir movies, uh, stuff like Double Indemnity and uh, uh, Twice the, lo- the Indemnity. <laughs> Or your buck. <laughs> yeah, it's twice the indemnity in one movie. Uh, the Asphalt Jungle, uh, The Killers. Um, he did actually some other epics, too, like El Cid. Oh. And, uh, Charlton Heston. 
Yes, uh, Mr. Charlton Heston. And, uh, oh, and Julius Caesar, which you just got. Right. Um, Brute Force. Oh, Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Sweet. Okay, that's why. I, for some reason, I was getting the thing confused with Sinbad, which I should be shot for. Um, <laughs> all right. Now to just wind this down. Now let's get down to the let's get down to brass tacks, man. Yeah. That's All right. It. Bernard Herman. Yes. He's uh he's somebody who I think is, you know, he, before you can't talk about composers of film scores without talking about Bernard Herman. Yeah. Before most, John Williams, I think Bernard Herman was probably the most famous composer like out there. Yeah. You know, in large part because of the stuff he did with Hitchcock. Yeah, uh, North by Northwest is... And Psycho. Yeah. Psy the, the movie, Psych it's funny because Hitchcock, I think I, I might have talked about this before, but Hitchcock was on the verge. I don't think he was actually that happy with how Psycho came out like when he f filmed it. I think he liked it, but he thought, well, is this really a movie? Maybe this should be like a two-part two you know, thing on Hitch uh, the Alfred Hitchcock show. Like, but then he got, but then Bernard Herrmann showed him what he wanted to do for music, and he's like, no, 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 I'm putting this in theaters. Uh, so, the, like, his score might have saved Psycho from a fate of, you know, TV obscurity. And again, it's just one of those things that everybody knows. Everybody knows Psycho. It's, it's been parodied in, it's, it, in film. I think it's, it's gotten to It's been parodied in TV, even in children's cartoons. Do they do Psycho music parodies in yes. cartoons? I imagine it's that... It's one of those weird things, like, there are up. things that are parodied all over the place, where yeah. you might not even know about it. Psycho is one, but another one is, like, 2001, The Space Odyssey. Yeah, Images I knew about I knew that. about the parody of that long before I saw the movie. Yeah. You know, like, when you watch The Simpsons and Homer's eating the chips to the Blue Danube waltz yes. uh, on the ship, or uh, I'm sure that I saw maybe, like, a one of the... I'm sure I saw a car another cartoon that used Blue Danube Waltz, yeah. or Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Yeah. Um, that used, you know... The, so, yeah, the, the amount of movie... The, a lot of kids' shows and stuff that use music like that. I'm sure that maybe, uh, like, the new Minions movie probably used that, and I don't yes. know about it. Freaking Minions. Um, Bernard Herman, though, uh, I mean, this is a guy who scored what many consider the greatest movie of all time, Citizen Kane. Yeah. And that has some really great music in it. Uh, who is this man? Who is this man? This is Kane. Oh, Kane. He's a thing. Who is this man? Who is this man? I'm singing for you. I'm singing for you. I'm doing all these moves like Charlie Kane. No? All right. You don't remember that scene where they're all, like, doing the dance number and, like, Kane's dancing with the show with the showgirls and the perspective makes it look like a really small room? I don't remember that. Man, oh, God, you it's don't. It's been a while since I've seen Citizen Kane. Oh, man. Okay. Your, your little crazy music numbers. You thought I, I was going crazy or I thought something. You were, I thought you were having an episode. <laughs> Just one of many. Um, no, and then, you know, we talked about the day the Earth stood still. Right. And how... Uh, that... Pioneering use of a theremin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never to be equaled in yeah. the history of cinema. It's kind of funny. Uh, my, my, uh, this is silent, but my, uh, I have a family member uh, who he had. He's he's spoken many times about his bucket list, and he's completed a lot of things on it. But one of the things on the list is learning to play the theremin. Well, that's easy. You don't even have to touch it. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's 
that's how it works. What do you do with a theremin? All right, that's you, you put your hands around it. That disturbs the magnetic, uh, electromagnetic field around it, which changes the tone that it makes. Okay. It's the only musical instrument in the world that you play without touching. Do you, I'm wondering then if he knows that. Cause it, Who cares? <laughs> no, but like... No, but I'm wondering if he's like, I want to learn to play the theremin. Is he joking? Or does he really want to... Does he think you that there's a part the to theremin. it? the theremin. It's not like... It's not like you throw it across a room and you have a music score. <laughs> no, but I... I, I guess I just pictured that maybe there was more to playing the theremin than that. Well, the way you move your hands is important. I'm sure that there are notes that you can get from it. Yeah. But right, the point you is... Know the, you know the Beach Boys song, Good Vibrations? Oh! Like, near the end of that song? Yeah. Oh, that's the theremin. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love that song. It's like... It's the stereotypical science fiction instrument. <laughs> like, in... If when you if when you think about crappy sci-fi movies from the fifties, that's usually the instrument they use in it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. No, like I actually I've, I've probably heard the theremin used on like Ren Stimpy cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. When they do like uh, their little segments and stuff. Okay. And yeah. then um, it's slightly less obscure than the glass harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Probably one of my favorite Bernard Herrmann scores, though. Maybe at the top is uh, Taxi Driver. Mm. I feel like that's the score for that movie is like another character. It really brings out kind of like the loneliness and like the fact that he's on the streets and he's this guy who has a lot of this frustration over the world. And it's interesting because there are no strings in that movie. It's all brace, brass. Excuse right. me. It's all horns. It's all uh, those kind of instruments. Um, I used to own the Taxi Driver soundtrack on vinyl, huh. and that was really cool to listen to, because uh, um, on that, there were a couple of tracks where Travis Bickle was talking over the music, <laughs> and uh, it made it a little bit creepy, like, and the theme for Taxi Driver, you feel like, you feel the loneliness just in the opening of that. It's like the do 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 like the yeah. Taxi Driver thing. Um, and just little things are cool about Bernard Herrmann. Like, he, he pops up in Kill Bill 1, uh, Twisted Nerve. Yeah. You know, that's that's one of those things that you end up whistling to. Um, and, of course, Vertigo. You know, again, you score two of the great films, and you make them better because of your scores. Do you remember the fil- the contest that was held on the internet about ver- taking the Vertigo score and putting it on other films? Yes. Yeah. Well, well, well you know what, how that happened. How? Because of the artist. You saw the artist? No. Okay. Well, what happened? The artist was they the compo the the filmmaker basically used the uh, part of the music from Vertigo over like the climax of the movie, huh. and it was one of those weird things because I was watching the artist and I'm enjoying it, and then this scene comes up where this guy is driving to get somewhere, and it's a very tense moment, and you hear the music from Vertigo coming up. That scene, that music when. Jimmy Stewart's looking at Kim Novak coming out of the bedroom in her her new clothes. Yeah. You know the do 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 do, and it's and you hear it in the movie and it's just like wait and what what happened was the 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 reason that this contest happened was because then Kim Novak came out and said that they like they raped my movie they how dare they use my music in such a way those they're terrible people and it's dude chill. Yeah, I mean, it's... 
I mean, I, I might not thought was the best use of the music for that scene, but whatever. Like, actually, our friend Matt Rosen did a great job using that music in The Right Stuff. But he, he put in a second submission as well. Oh, what was the other one? Vertigo. <laughs> he even got a special mention. <laughs> he won the honorary Snake Swallowing Its Tail Award for did, Vertigo did, and Vertigo. Did he put different music over another scene? I think so, yeah. Okay. All he right, didn't that makes just sense. send them a clip from Vertigo. That would have been ridiculous. Alright. Yeah, I, I remember that now. Okay, yeah. No, that's... you just remember it because you made a memory because I just told you. Well, I'd have to try to find it. But, Ask uh, him about it. But the point is that, that how he used uh, the score for the right stuff was... Uh... Yeah, I remember seeing that clip that he made. It was, uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, um, so... I raise my glass to Bernard Herrmann, who made a lot of awesome music. And one thing, one thing that was Ding. awesome about him, one thing that's interesting though, is that he could be very like prickly and choosy when it came to certain movies that he would score. Like he would be very demanding. Yeah. Apparently, like he would say, "No, this music has to be done like this. You have to do it this way." Yeah. And he would sometimes like lose. Like I think that's why he and Hitchcock have falling out because I think like they just couldn't stand each other anymore. Because Bernard Herman could be kind of like a prickly person. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other the cool thing with him, if you see the birds, he's credited as a cons sound consultant. He basically advised on how to, and he designed how to do all the bird sounds in the movie. Hmm. So even, there's no music in the birds. It's a unique Hitchcock movie in that sense. Uh, but it uses sound really well wow. that way. All right, and, all right. Got the last one, man. Yeah. The man who raised whistling to an art form. Yeah, he basically he took the sound of a coyote from a, from the opening scene of the movie and decided to make an entire theme out of that, and it became one of the most recognizable themes in the world. Right. Anytime you. Anytime anyone's in, like, a Western setting where they're like, oh, man, this is like a Western, they yeah. start whistling the, yeah. the, the bad and the ugly theme. Yeah, like, how much any more Coney Rocks is, like, uh, the, both the Ramones and Metallica have used music from the good, the bad, and the ugly in when they open their concerts. Yeah. The Ramones used to play the opening theme of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly before they came on stage. Right. And uh, Metallica played this Ecstasy of Gold before right. they come out. My um, brother listens to the ecstasy of gold when he jogs that's a good one to listen to yeah I, I imagine does he does he do it so he can feel like he's trying to find gold in the cemetery he, he uses it to pump himself up okay I, to, 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 on his run home yeah now I did a little research and I discovered now again may, he might have one or two of these that are maybe not real credits maybe you know IMDB messes this up but according right. to IMDB 530 scores. Yeah. Over like 55 years of working in the movies. He is the Christopher Lee of film scores. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder sometimes about Neil yeah. Morricone because he's most famous for his work with Sergio Leone. Yeah, pretty but much. But he scored several westerns, like probably he's probably scored at oh. least 100 westerns. Oh my god. So my he, uh, my, my big so thing is like was there ever a time in his life where Ennio Morricone like sat up in bed and said, 
Oh god, I got I got to score another western, and then fell back into bed. <laughs> well, one of well, one of the things that makes him scoring the hateful eight uh, s- such big news is he hasn't scored a western in forty years. Wow. Yeah, so that's one of the big things. Like he's been constantly working. Uh, I think that for the most part, over the past 10, 15 years, he's been mostly making scores for people in Italy. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because he's Italian. He, I guess, he's probably most comfortable doing scores in that language. Um, he's done a lot of mo- like it's this director named Giuseppe Tornatore. He did the movie Cinema Paradiso. Mm-hmm. I think he scored every one of his movies. Yeah, but he doesn't really do that many big Hollywood movies. But he uh, did the Days of Heaven. Yeah, he did. Um, so I think yeah, when you and hear the opening theme of that, he did the thing. He did the thing. He did that thing. The the Untouchables. The Untouchables. The Untouchables. Which has a really good like, which has a really good horseback scene. You mean the scene with the bounties and like yeah. they they am the the Untouchables ambush the the guys. Yeah, on the on the bridge. That's a really rousing score for that scene. Yeah. I like the theme for the Untouchables too. Yeah, like he did the whole movie. Yeah, but, uh, but the uh, that one uh, scene is the is the one thing that really st- sticks out to me. It reminds me a lot of his work from the Good and the Bad and the Ugly with trumpets and yeah, uh, and all the brass work he does. Mm-hmm. He he also did a movie which I haven't seen this movie since high school. For some reason, they show us this movie called The Mission. Yeah, when I was in a high school class, which is about uh, Spanish Jesuits who are trying to. Uh, protect, like, these South American Indian tribes from uh, pro-slavery Portugal or something. Yeah, slave, slavers. Yeah, something like that. And uh, the theme that... I knew Morgan Coney did a theme for that that was really good. And anyway, we mentioned Days of Heaven. Uh, the Battle of Algiers. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that movie. <laughs> That gets you pumped up for that. Oh, yeah. One of his most beautiful scores, when we talked about The Untouchables and De Palma, but he did a score for a movie he did called Casualties of War. Hmm. And he makes that, he makes the movie, like, almost more heartbreaking. He puts, like, so much kind of tragedy into this story of uh, uh, these soldiers that raped this, like, Vietnamese woman. Yeah. And it, like, really brings it out of there. There are a few titles, like, frankly, I'm looking at, again, if you have 530 movies... 90% of everything is crap. So, Red Sonia was a title <laughs> that I see pop up in here. Uh, <laughs> um, Exorcist 2. Actually, I've heard some of the yeah, music from Exorcist heard, 2, and it's not bad. Yeah, well, it's a weird movie. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't really... It's no. not conventional. <laughs> yeah. He scored a couple of Argento movies, which is kind of cool. Okay. The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Oh, he did the music for The Great Silence. I forgot about Quite that. Quite ironically. <laughs> I think the Hateful Eight uh, kind of take is supposed to be yeah. taking a lot of influence from that because it's all it's, it's very snow. snowbound and yeah. it's in like one location. Uh, I haven't seen Great Sounds in a long time, except that I remember Klaus Kinski in it very well. Yeah. I think that was the first time, one of the first times I well, saw Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski is always memorable. <laughs> he was in. Remember, he was in um, for a few dollars more, mm. and he wasn't on there for long, but. You remembered him. Oh, the, 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 of course. It's like he Lee was... Van Cleve comes up to him and strikes a match from his hunchback. Yes. And like then, like very and slowly, it takes all of Klaus Kinski's energy 
not to kill it. Well, no, what's great is how slowly he turns around, and then you just see, like, the white of his eyes. And he's just like, yeah, you see, like, everything in his face, and Lee Van Cleef's like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I think that was the first time I saw Klaus Kinski, because I saw his movie, that movie, way before, uh... Or a few hours more is a good theme, too. Yeah, I mean, all the themes do. And, of course, uh... I'd be remiss without talking about Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah. That, that, you I talk can't about, believe I haven't seen it. You have not. Yeah. Oh, man. Ooh, that's something that... Well, whether or not I put it on the list, you, that's got to be a priority for you, because it's... You know, it, there are a lot of people out there who say that that's even better than the, the Dollars movies hmm. for Leone. I think it's up there for me. Not, not quite. Um, I just have to make sure I see the original cut. Well, I mean, they're not, like, you can't, I think you'd have to, it's actually very hard to find the censored video cut, because uh, they released it in theaters, and it was cut, but yeah. when they put it on video, I think it was then the uncut version. Right. Um, now there are two versions, though. They actually put out an even longer edition uh, last year. Uh, what, they found, the like, movie? <laughs> I don't know. I think the only thing is, from what I heard from my friend, they restored all the rest of the movie, but they didn't restore the other footage they found, so it's like a Metropolis thing, uh. where it's a, you get the Frankenstein monster feel of it. Uh, no, see, see the version that's four hours long. That's that's long enough. Um, <laughs> but you talk about that movie, the music in that is great. Oh, I forgot he did the music for Death Rides a Horse, huh. which I think you Here's saw. one of my favorites that he did. Danger Diabolic. Yeah. That that really it just has that really rocking guitar riff. Yeah. Where again, you know, the car and Diabolic's car is just careening back and forth across this highway, and you just, and the scene and the music's like da 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 and that's he, the weird thing. He was a very versatile composer. Yeah, think about the score from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It uses people whistling, mm -hmm. electric guitar, people grunting, like and and so uh, uh, trumpets and like whip and a chorus. Yeah, and whip, oh, and like uh, and cracking whip sound effect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's so much like cobbled together from things that you wouldn't expect, but it makes this song you don't even question it. It's not even like. You know, some people like make music like just by plucking piano strings mm -hmm. or or hitting buckets or things like that. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like this sort of like found object. It's like mm -hmm. it's ah yeah. Well, you talk you about put together so many yeah. different elements to make yeah. really just good music. You talk about filmmaker and composer who were so in sync with one another, and you know it got to the point where you know Leone would play Morricone's music on set. I've heard that uh, a lot. Of, I've heard a lot of his. Interviews with actors say that 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 didn't happen. That's well, a myth. no, I've heard it happen. Not like to the extent where he played the entire score, like throughout the every single scene. I think that would be kind of difficult. I think once in a while he would play a piece of his music so that you know he could set the mood a little bit. I've actually, although what I read was that was Once Upon a Time in the West, he did write a full score for the movie just from the script. Huh. And then Leone actually had to film certain scenes to fit the music. Wow. Which, you know, that makes sense because of how, you know, operatic that movie is. Yeah. Um, 
So <laughs> that's what he I'll did have to play that music. Diabolic too. So I know. Final thoughts on any more, Coney? All right. There's one thing I want to talk about. Okay. In Glorious Bastards, in the opening scene, is that more Coney music? Yes. There's. You mean over the opening credits? No, I mean that's not any other thing. What I mean is, there's that scene that takes place in the French farm, with uh, with. Oh, where with, she's running away from. Before uh, that, before that, the, uh, there isn't it, that much music in that scene. No, listen, w- just wait. Hans Landa, he comes, to, he drives up to the farm. Oh, and there's, oh, there's, you hear the doo-doo. oh, you hear the Beethoven music. Yeah, you hear the Beethoven music. And it's just he uses that one Beethoven riff. And then it adds, like, some guitar music. And it's only a clip of music that's one minute long. And this is what Morricone would do. Like, sometimes he would just have, like, a theme. And it wasn't, like, this grand song that he composed or anything. It's just like, all right, here's a minute of music. Put it over your scene. Yeah. This'll do it. And that song, that little bit of music, it's on the Inglorious Bastards soundtrack. You can hear it. It's, like, called, like, a sentence. Mm. And... Or the sentence. Okay. And every time I hear that music, I I want like my eyes narrow and I look at the side of my eyes. Like it, it makes you want to look at people <laughs> sideways. Or yeah. if there's like one other person in the room, you just like head nod, <laughs> and you expect to like draw on each other as soon as the music. Yeah, ends. exactly. And, and it's just a scene of a guy pulling up to this guy's house, but it you kind of already know. All right, there's a little bit of tension here. Right, yeah. you know that something's not right. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh... and it's just very simple. It's just a few notes of Beethoven, a little bit of guitar, and a little bit of horn to do, that just do a few notes. Yeah, and it doesn't and it doesn't compose like this giant whole, but it sets the mood perfectly. Yeah. Uh, so. Th- Listen to that track, and I think you'll understand everything you need to know about any of Morricone, and then you'll want more. So right on. There you go. All right. Uh, I think that kind of. I think any Morricone. I don't know if we could top talking about that. So I think we'll have to wrap it up. I'm sure we've left out a few other composers worth mentioning. Nope. Nobody else composes for movies. We've mentioned all of them. <laughs> take of course, that, take that, more. James Newton Howard. So if you uh, <laughs> if you know somebody we've missed, somebody who you're like, oh, you people are idiots for not mentioning this man or woman, send us a message. Where can they message us, Jack? Wagesofcinema at gmail.com. You can also reach us on our Facebook page at the Wages of Cinema Podcast. Um, send me a message on Twitter if you want. I'm at Jack Gattinella. Um, and of course, we are on iTunes. If you're not listening on iTunes to this already, leave a comment and subscribe. Yeah, and if you're listening to this on iTunes, you can also check us out on SoundCloud. Uh, and we uh, now have uh, special playlists that I've put together where, uh, for your convenience, you can check out a lot of our segments in one chunk, uh, which maybe makes it a little bit easier for people. We have chunks now. Yeah, chunks. Now with. 20% more chunks. <laughs> yes. Get your chunks. Get your chunks of podcast here. Um, so, um, and that, and we'll be coming back next week with uh, more movies, more classics. Uh, you know, it's summertime, so, uh, you know, try to keep yourself cool out there and uh, the heat. Unless you're in the southern hemisphere. In that case, try to keep yourself warm. Yes. And if you decide that you want to be outside, then have fun, but try to stay away from skin cancer. 
Watch a movie. It's Don't summertime. trust skin cancer. <laughs> it will lie to you and possibly harm you. So, for The Wages of Cinema, I'm Andrew. I'm Jack. And uh, remember that The Wages of Cinema is death. Put any Morricone mu music over this. <laughs> Good night. Holy fucking shit, it's a dinosaur. Jesus Christ, what the fuck?